Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome on in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A rainy Thursday, at least in New York City. But that's right. That's not getting our spirits down. It's not having us wake up a little extra groggy today. So we got a lot of energy. Really fired up to be talking to you guys the next two hours as we roll along till 11 a.m. Eastern. And as always, we appreciate you for making us a part of your Thursday morning. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to, of course, find a location near you. All right. We're going to start with NBA here in the middle of August because Kevin Durant, I think, now wants off the Nets. And he wants off the Brooklyn Nets for one specific reason. He knows he can't lead a team. Right, he gave an ultimatum to owner Joe Sy over the weekend. That was first reported by The Athletic. Saying basically, Joe, you got to choose. It's either me or it's the GM, Sean Marks, and the head coach, Steve Nash. All three of us, Sean Marks, Steve Nash, Kevin Durant, will not be together by the time the season starts next year. That was Kevin Durant's message to the owner. And you know what the owner did? Joe Sy tweeted about 48 hours later after that meeting over the weekend, I back my GM, I back my head coach. I think Kevin Durant knew Joe Sy would choose the owner and the coach over him. And he did this ultimatum or made this ultimatum knowing that will expedite or help expedite his departure from Brooklyn. And the reason why he wants to leave the Nets, it's not because they didn't listen to him. It's not because of the direction of the franchise, because he is the one driving the bus right into the ground in Brooklyn. He wants to leave the Nets because he wants to go back to being the bus uh, bus rider, as Charles Barkley would say. He is done being the decision maker. That's what Kevin Durant was the last three years in Brooklyn. He was the decision maker. He made the calls on everything. He was the one who decided to bring... Kyrie Irving to town and partner up with him when he left the Warriors to go to the Nets. He had also decided midway through year number one, when remember, he wasn't playing. He was out the entire year rehabbing his Achilles injury. He decided midway through the year, you know what, when I do return, I don't want to play under Kenny Atkinson. He's not the kind of guy that I, you know, I think should be my coach. Boom, Kenny, you're fired. He was fired. He brought in Steve Nash, handpicked Steve Nash who had virtually no coaching experience whatsoever. So said, you know what? That's my guy. Bring him in. He was hired. When there was a chance or there was a thought, oh, maybe the Nets could acquire James Harden. James Harden wants out of Houston. It's either the Sixers or it's the Nets. KD okayed and eventually helped make the deal to get James Harden to Brooklyn to form the big three, to have the scary hours, as James Harden would say, form in Brooklyn. Guess what? As we know, that didn't work out. And basically a year later, when James Harden wanted out, Kevin Durant said, okay, fine. You want to send him to Philly? 
We'll get Ben Simmons back. I okay that as well. Kevin Durant has made every single decision along the way. And every single decision Kevin Durant has made the last three years have only driven the Nets further away from title contention. And I think now after three years of the Nets listening to whatever you wanted and having to make the call on almost every single move, coaching-wise, player-wise, he's done. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He wants to go back to being the bus rider. He is done being the bus driver. And frankly, it's pathetic. For a player of his caliber, for being a star player in the NBA, his leadership skills, or lack thereof, are the biggest reason why right now the Nets are a mess, why they're not title contenders, and why Kevin Durant wants to run away from the Nets and go somewhere else. And the reason why I can conclude Kevin Durant is done being the main guy, wants to go back to a similar role he was widely criticized for for three years in Golden State, and that was cheating and basically going to a super team and, and having, you know, not being able to do it on his own. Remember, we all criticized. He got a lot of attention, a lot of uh, bad press for going to the Warriors. I think it's easy to deduce he left the Warriors and went to the Nets because he said, you know what, it's time for me to do it on my own. But now Kevin Durant's mindset has shifted. Now he said, you know what, I had a taste of what it's like to be Steph Curry making the decisions. I now know what it like, what it's like to walk in LeBron James' shoes where it's not just about playing, it's basically being the player and the GM. Kevin Durant is done. He wants to go back to being the bus rider. And here's why we can make that assumption. Look at the teams Kevin Durant is reportedly interested in playing for. There's a select few. He's not down to go anywhere but Brooklyn. It's not one of those, get me out of town. I don't care if it's Sacramento. I don't care if it's Indiana. I'll go anywhere but here. He has a select few teams he wants to be traded to. The Celtics. But... As SNY's Ian Begley reported earlier this week, he wants to play with the Celtics, but he also wants to play with the Celtics with Marcus Smart, specifically. He wants Marcus Smart there. He's also reportedly interested in playing for the Sixers. He wants Embiid there. He wants James Harden there. He's down for a reunion with the Beard. He wants to, again, play with a guy who ditched him six months ago. Left him at the altar in James Harden. He also, earlier this offseason, when the first reports came out in late June that Kevin Durant wants to trade, one of the first teams named the Miami Heat. And Kevin Durant said, I'll go play with the Heat, but I want Jimmy Butler there. I want Ben Adebayo there. He also mentioned the Suns, but he said, I want Devin Booker there. I want CP3 there. Those names and those teams are specific. Because guess what? All of those teams he would be traded to, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Heat, the Suns. He's not going there to be the guy like he was in Brooklyn. He's not going there to take control of the organization and have himself be the decision maker like he was in Brooklyn. He is going to those teams. He is targeting those teams because he wants to, again, regain the role he had in Golden State. Just play basketball. Let Steph worry about you know, making some decisions like uh, Draymond Green worry about creating a culture and Steve Kerr carrying that out. And all Kevin Durant did in those three years in Golden State was play basketball. He wants that again. I think he is okay with the criticism that's going to come, but he wants to go back to now not being the guy on a team anymore. 
Because you look at those four teams specifically, Boston, Philly, Miami, Phoenix. They all have something in common. They all have a culture already built, whether it's through the entire franchise, whether it's through the coaching staff, whether it's player-driven, or all the above. All four of those teams are eerily similar to one another, and those are the reasons why, or that is the reason why, Kevin Durant wants to go there. Again, if he wanted to just say, you know what, the Nets didn't work out, I want to go somewhere else and still be the guy, he could have gone to Sacramento easily. You could get traded to Indiana easily and be the guy there, start over. There are plenty of opportunities. You can go to Utah. Turn it over, be the guy, and make the decisions yet again. He chose those four teams, or reportedly, I should say, because none of this is on the record from Kevin Durant, he reportedly has zoned in on those teams for one specific reason. He can go play basketball. He doesn't have to be the guy making decisions. He'll be the guy on the court. He'll be the number one option on the court like he was in Golden State. Let's not forget, in Golden State, even though it was Steph Curry's team and Klay Thompson and those two were the Splash Brothers, right? When Kevin Durant came to town, they took a step back. The offense ran through KD. It didn't run through Steph. It didn't run through Klay. Even though those, it was their team and Steph was the face of the Warriors, the offense on the court ran through Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant, if he goes to Boston or Philly, maybe the offense will run through him, but that's not what Kevin Durant wants. Or that's not what I should say Kevin Durant's most concerned with. He is most concerned with not having to be the one to make decisions. He is most concerned with not having to be the one where all the blame comes back on his shoulders. He is most focused on not having to be the leader of a team. Because when you look at the Celtics, right? And specifically Marcus Smart. Why does Kevin Durant want to play with specifically Marcus Smart? He didn't name Jason Tatum. He said Marcus Smart for a reason. Because Marcus Smart is a Celtics equivalent of Draymond Green. He has the heart. He has the vocal leadership. He sets the culture on the court. Marcus Smart is not afraid to yell at anyone. He'll yell at Jason Tatum if Jason Tatum is loafing or not giving it his all or zoned out. He'll yell at Ime Odoka if he feels like Ime Odoka is not maybe running the right set or, or giving his guys enough energy. Marcus Smart, again, is similar to Draymond Green in that short. On the court, they are valued in many different ways and kind of do a lot of things, but it's that leadership they bring off the court, the tone that they set, that really drives their importance to the team. Kevin Durant does not want to be a leader. That is first and foremost. And part of being a bus driver, in Charles Barkley's words, is being a leader. It's not just being the best player on a team. It's leading a team. It's being competent enough to make decisions, have foresight, and when things go bad, rally your team either with your play or with your leadership. Kevin Durant does not want to hurt anyone's feelings. Kevin Durant wants to be friends with everybody. So when he says, I want to go to Boston, but have Marcus Smart be there, that is him telling you right there. He doesn't want to be the bad guy. He wants to have someone else do the dirty work, like Draymond Green did in Golden State, He wants Marcus Smart to do that in Boston. That's the leader. That's the heart and soul of the Celtics. That's why Kevin Durant wants Marcus Smart there. Not because he's the best player on the Celtics. Or not because, you know, his role complements him really well. Or he can get extra passes from him. He wants Marcus Smart to be the guy yelling at everyone else to get them playing. Jason Tatum, no disrespect, is not a vocal leader. We've not seen him 
command a huddle the way Marcus Smart has. So Jason Tatum is an insanely talented player. But Kevin Durant knows it's not just talent that wins. It's culture. It's leadership. That's what Marcus Smart brings. That's why Kevin Durant wants Marcus Smart there in a trade. If he goes to Philly, Kevin Durant knows it's still Joel Embiid's team. Even though Kevin Durant's a better player, even though so far in Embiid's tenure in Philly, it's been frankly a disappointment. For how great of a player he is, the Sixers have continually fallen short because there's no one around Embiid to step up and play well because Embiid's either been triple teamed or hurt. Sixers have not gone to the Eastern Conference Finals once. So even though Kevin Durant would come in, be the best player, and I think the offense would go through him, at the end of the day, it's still Embiid's team. He's still the face of that franchise. So whether it's personnel decisions, whether it's coaching decisions, hey, what's the future of Doc Rivers? I think Embiid is more important and more vocal in those decisions than Kevin Durant would be. So Embiid would still be the face of the franchise. Embiid would still be, let's say, getting some of the blame if things are going awry compared to Kevin Durant. You go to Miami, as we know, the Heat culture has been there for decades. Pat Riley is calling the shots. Kevin Durant is not making any decision. Pat Riley's calling the shots. Eric Spolster's calling the shots. And there's a reason why, again, Kevin Durant reportedly, when he wants to go to Miami, specifically said, I want Jimmy Butler there. Because Jimmy Butler, similar to Marcus Smart, similar to Draymond Green, brings that intensity, brings that leadership that Kevin Durant is severely lacking. That Kevin Durant doesn't have. Forget lacking. He has no leadership. Zero. And that's what he's looking for. It's the same thing why in Phoenix, he wants CP3 there. Him and Monty Williams have built something special. They have, they have held everyone accountable. Kevin Durant doesn't want to hold anyone accountable. He just wants to play basketball. He didn't want to be around Kyrie Irving and have to be the bad guy and say, Kyrie, get the shot. Or Kyrie, you can't just disappear. He didn't want to be the bad guy when James Harden and Kyrie Irving were feuding and have it figured out. Like, think about that. In the small sample size, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden played together. 16 games, they had one of the most historic offensive ratings we've ever seen. I think they were 13-3, and if I'm not mistaken, was their record when all three on the court playing and healthy. And it got so bad, and Kevin Durant did not want to make uh, hurt anyone's feelings, that he said, you know what, I'd rather trade James Harden away than have these three guys sit in a room and hash it out. James Harden didn't hate Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant didn't hate James Harden. There's a reason why Durant wants to go to Philly. He wants to play with James Harden again. But with Durant, uh, I'm sorry, with Harden and Irving not getting along, Kevin Durant not being the good leader he's supposed to be, did nothing to get them to play together. Did nothing to squash the beef. And instead, would rather piss away a championship opportunity by not hurting anyone's feelings and trading Harden away than having a tough conversation, having those three sit in a room and figure it out. That right there shows you, Durant is not a leader. He's not a bus driver. We all assume the bus driver means just talent-wise. Oh, you're the best player on the team. You lead a team to a championship. So much we overlook the leadership capabilities, the leadership necessity you need on a team to win a title. Kevin Durant doesn't have that, and now I think he realizes, I will never be leadership-wise good enough to lead a team on my own, and that is why he not only wants out of Brooklyn, 
It's also why the teams he is selected to get traded to all have one thing in common. All have leadership built into their core where he could just go there and play basketball. He's not going to be Kevin Durant the GM. He's going to be Kevin Durant the player. He's not going to be Kevin Durant the bad guy. He's going to have to be Kevin Durant the hooper. He'll let someone else be the bad guy. Whether it's Marcus Smart, whether it's Embiid, whether it's Chris Paul, whether it's Jimmy Butler or Pat Riley. Kevin Durant can't lead. And now he has realized after three years, even with the criticism that came with his role in Golden State, he'd rather go back to that role than have to be the face of a franchise and receive criticism and have to try to be the bad guy by leading a team on his own. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Plenty of ways to get involved in the show. Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Or, you want to go right to the source, right here, Ryan Hickey, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Is Kevin Durant a bus rider? Is this a guy who will never be able to win a title on his own, not for lack of talent, for lack of leadership? I think yes. How about you? Again, at Ryan Hickey Show, you could tweet me on Twitter. That's also where the live stream of the show right now is. Also, live streaming of the show is on Facebook and YouTube at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll get your thoughts on the future of Kevin Durant when we return. And also, is 2022 going to be the year of the quarterback rejuvenation? I think there's three guys whose careers right now are teetering that will save them and take them off the brink. We'll tell you who those three quarterbacks are when we return. It's Ryan Nicky right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in, Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on a Thursday morning. I'll get into the quarterback rejuvenation here in one second. I just saw a tweet from Darren Ovell that is very, very confusing. And here's what it is. All right, so, you know, NIL, Darren Novell loves, you know, a lot of these deals. He is reporting a brand new deal that three Alabama players have just recently signed for NIL. Malachi Moore, Javion Cohen, and Jermaine Burton, three Alabama players, have just partnered with Six Star Pro. Now, if you're like me, never heard of Six Star Pro before today, here's what it is. It's basically a nutrition, um, nutrition company. You know, it's supposed to give athletes, you know, a scientifically-based nutritional diet that helps give you an edge, right? So just an, another nutrition plan. But here's where that's very confusing. That's pretty normal, right? Athletes partnering with a nutrition company makes total sense. Here's where the confusing part is. Part of the deal of that these three Alabama players just signed with this nutrition company includes logging off social media in the preseason to focus on the goal of winning another national title. Now, two things. Number one, let's look at it from a business perspective. How does it make sense that if you are a company signing Alabama players or any college football players for that matter to an NIL deal that logging off social media is going to be good for your brand, good for your business? The incentive for these companies partnering with athletes is to get a hold of that social media following. Is to get a hold of the... Um, of the brand that these three players have faced. I'm just pulling up really sec- uh, really quick here because Jermaine Burton's the biggest name uh, of these three guys. 
Jermaine Burton has 51.6 thousand followers on Instagram. You would think that if you are... <laughs> now, I'm just seeing the post he put out there. You would think if you are part of the nutrition company, you want to tap in to those 56,000 followers an Alabama wide receiver has. Somehow... Again, people are a lot smarter than me. I am by far nowhere near the smartest guy in the room. I'm way closer to the dumbest guy in the room than the smartest guy in the room. Especially when it comes to business. I don't see how incentivizing your clients now to log off social media, at least for the preseason, how that benefits you. Again, maybe marketing now, people have seen all the less you post, the better. Anyway, that's not my thing. That is very, very weird. But hey. Good for the Alabama players. You get an NIL deal, and right now, at least during the preseason, you have nothing to do uh, in terms of promotion-wise. But the other thing is what I don't don't get, or I should say what I should applaud more than anything else, is how Nick Saban is always able to find deals, find guys like this, where their players and his players are profiting, but at the same time, not taking, as Nick Saban would say, the rat poison. Still staying focused, not allowing the brand to become too big. He's allowing his players to get paid and sign sponsorships. And part of the sponsorship deals they're agreeing to is saying, get off social media for preseason. Be focused only on football. Forget about your brand. Forget about promotion. You better win these wide receiver drills or else you're in trouble. You're screwed. Nick Saban, man, there's a reason why he's the GOAT. There's a reason why in a rebuilding year, as Nick Saban called it last year, they won the SEC at his quarterback win the Heisman, and they were in the national title game. It's because I just feel like small things like this are so Alabama. Having players sign NIL deals, and the NIL deal in part being shut your phone off for preseason, lock in in training camp. Amazing. Bravo to you, Nick Saban. While everyone else is getting big-time deals and cars and shoe sponsorships and commercials, Nick Saban does it again and still finds a way to have his guys get paid and also stay focused. Troy Alabama, man, it's college football needs Nick Saban to retire. I get it's a loser mentality. I get you got to, in order to be the best, you got to beat the best. Look, I, I am all for competition. But as a Penn State fan, as 99.9% of college football fans out there that are not Alabama fans, we all know the truth. We need Nick Saban to retire, man. Until he retires, the show is going to go on and Alabama is going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. All right. So let's go to the NFL. I think one of the storylines as we get ready for the 2022 season that's going to pop up this year, I think we're going to see a quarterback rejuvenation. Guys, we thought their careers were dead. We have written off and they don't have it anymore. I think we're going to see a few guys come back to life and prove a lot of people wrong. I think three quarterbacks specifically, we will see have rejuvenations, drink the fountain of youth, and come back and have big years. Matt Ryan with the Colts, Baker Mayfield with the Panthers, and Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. Let's start with Russ. I think Russ is winning the MVP this year. I am extremely bullish on the Broncos. They're my Super Bowl champion. And I am super excited and high on Russell Wilson going to Denver. I get his last year and a half of football was not very good. The end of 2020, the the Seahawks cratered offensively and were feeble in the playoffs against the Rams and lost to a backup quarterback in John Wolford and a quarterback with a broken thumb on his throwing hand in Jared Goff. 
And I get last year the finger injury, but even when he came back, maybe rush it too early. Either way, even before he got hurt early in the season, that, that Seahawks offense is not very good. But I think the last year and a half of Russell Wilson's, let's say, poor play, I think you chalk up to two things, both out of his control. Injury, like we mentioned, to the finger last year, but also bad coaching. I don't know why this is not a bigger storyline. Pete Carroll blatantly held Russell Wilson back this last year and a half. Pete Carroll, it's no secret. He is a very conservative guy when it comes to offense. He is a guy with a defensive mind that wants that still thinks he can win football games in 2022 by running the ball and playing good defense. So if you go back to 2020, excuse me, when Russell Wilson in the first half of the season was cooking, there was also a little bit of turnovers. You know, there's a, a decently high interception rate with Russell Wilson. He was put up a ton of points, but also the interceptions were a little high. And you know what Pete Carroll did? Instead of looking at the positive, instead of looking at the touchdown numbers, and the points per game and the record, he said, oh, too many inter- too many picks. The defense is not being put in a good position. We're going to take it back, scale it back. He handcuffed the offense the, la- the second half of 2020, carried it over into 2021, and neutered what is, in my opinion, still an elite quarterback in the NFL. Like, if you look, if we go back to 2020, the first eight games of the season, Russell Wilson was the runaway MVP. Runaway. The first eight games, he had 28 touchdown passes. The Seahawks offense averaged 34 points per game. Again, eight games, 28 touchdown passes, 34 points per game. You look at the second half of the season, the final eight games, when Pete Carroll got scared, it was specifically after the Buffalo game in which the Seahawks lost, I think it was like 44-34. Russ had, you know, big numbers passing, also had two picks. After that game, Pete Carroll said no more. We are putting a clamp on the offense. Since Pete Carroll got in the offensive coordinator's ear and sped it down, Russell Wilson, in eight games since, had just 12 touchdown passes, and the Seahawks averaged just 23 points per game. Touchdown passes dropped more than half, and you had the points per game Seattle was scoring get cut down by 11 for the first half of the year to the second half of the year. And guess what? That's the reason why the Seahawks, once they got into the playoffs, were no match for a Rams team that, again, started John Wolford. And when John Wolford got hurt early in the game, they went to Jared Goff, who had a broken thumb on his throwing hand. You tell me how effective he's going to be. With a broken thumb on your throwing hand in the playoffs, the Seahawks still lost that game. Why? Because the defense in Seattle is not very good. The running game is not very good. And when those two things aren't adding up, you can't win games, even though that's how Pete Carroll thinks you are going to win games. Pete Carroll held Russell Wilson back. And now, guess what? Russ is free. Now he's going into an offense that's actually going to cater to his strengths. Nathaniel Hackett is going to run plays, call plays, design an offense around what? What Russell Wilson does well. That was never, never the case in Seattle. It was the opposite. The offense was geared to what Pete Carroll wanted to run. The offense was geared in Seattle with Russell Wilson, your quarterback. It was designed to, how can we put the defense in the best position to succeed? It was never, what does Russell Wilson do well? He throws a really good deep ball. Let's call more deep balls. It was never that. So even knowing Russell Wilson and going from Seattle to Denver is downgrading in wide receiver talent, right? There's no DK Metcalf on the Broncos. There's no Tyler Lockett in Denver. I think he now 
going to an offense that's going to work with him, not against him, going to play under a head coach that's going to do whatever it takes to make sure Russell Wilson is the best, in the best position to succeed, I think Russ, even if you have, let's say, talent-wise, less talent in general, I think overall the sum of the parts is greater in Denver than it is in Seattle, he's going to carry players around him that are, again, less talented than what he had in, in Seattle in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett specifically. So I think as long as Russell Wilson's healthy, we've seen a huge bounce back year. We're going to see Russell Wilson return to the elite level of play that he once was at. And he is going to be the MVP of the season. And he's going to, once again, remind everyone, Russell Wilson's still a bona fide top five quarterback in the NFL. I am very, very excited for Russ in Denver. Big year coming. Big rejuvenation coming for Russ with the Broncos. How about Matty Ice? I think despite being age 37 this season, I think he's got his best season since 2018. And in 2018, four years ago now, that was the year Matt Ryan threw for 4,900 yards, 35 touchdowns, seven picks. I think he can come close to maybe not as much as yards-wise, but touchdown-interception ratio for sure. I think Matt Ryan's going to flirt with and be around those numbers for two reasons. Number one, I'm high in Frank Reich. I think Frank Reich to, uh, Frank Reich to me is one of the best offensive minds that truly doesn't get enough credit for what he does. If you look at what the, the hands he has been dealt with Andrew Luck, then Andrew Luck suddenly retiring, then going to Jacoby Brissett, then going to a guy in Phillip Rivers who we thought was washed up, then going to Carson Wentz last year, now going to Matt Ryan. Every single year, Frank Reich's had a new quarterback and a different style of quarterback to work with in now his five years in Indy. And he has gotten, for the most part, the best possible play out of each quarterback he's been with. Even Carson Wentz. Look, I'm done with Carson Wentz, and frankly, I think Frank Reich underachieved with Carson Wentz. I thought he was going to be a lot better in Parker's Frank Reich. I thought he was going to put him in a better position to succeed and get more out of him. With that said, Carson Wentz still, for all the turnover issues he had and leading the NFL in picks in 2020, 20, was it, eight, 27 touchdowns and 7 picks he had. That was a lot of to do with Frank Reich. He's a tremendous play designer. He's an aggressive play caller. Those two areas are going to work really well, I think, for Matt Ryan. And look, look what Frank Reich was able to do with Phillip Rivers, who is in a similar position to Matt Ryan. A little bit younger Matty Ices, and I think he has a little bit more life in his arm than Rivers did when he got to the Colts in 2020. But Frank Reich got 24 touchdown passes, 4,100 yards, and 11 wins from a guy that everyone, including yours truly, thought was washed up. I did not want Phillip Rivers. I thought it was a bad move. I thought midway through the year, the Colts should have benched Phillip Rivers for Jacoby Brissett. But Frank Reich got the best out of him and made the playoffs with an 11-5 team led by a quarterback most people, including yours truly, written off. So I think he can have similar success to what is a younger and a you know, better Matt Ryan. But also, the other thing why I have a belief that Matt Ryan's going to have a big year this year and, and really bounce back lead the Colts to a division is his leadership. Look, we have seen it already. There was a, a clip the Colts put out yesterday, about four minutes of just Matt Ryan mic'd up at practice. He is, after every single play, telling whether it's the wide receivers, the running backs, the tight ends, the line. Hey, you know, one yard. Get this way. Get that way. Break in. One step pop. Hey, what can I do better? Do you like where that ball is? There is constant communication. It's not just Matt Ryan yelling, hey, be better. Be here. I need you here. And also, hey, how can I be better? Is that ball placement? Is that where you like it? 
Do you want me to put a little bit on the outside shoulder next time or the inside shoulder or leech a little more? There is constant back and forth communication between Matt Ryan and his players, you know, the, the skill position players. And I get that should be an obvious statement. I get, well, yeah, he's a quarterback. He's a coach on the field. He should be doing that. It's not as easy. It's not as common as you think. Again, I hate to keep on beating a, a, a dead horse here with Carson Wentz. But you look at Carson Wentz last year. Carson Wentz was not the leader the Colts won or needed. That's a big reason why the Colts folded down the stretch and they missed the playoffs despite basically being a lock at the end of the year. Carson Wentz is not the leader they needed either in practice or especially at the end of games. It was, oh, I'm nervous. I don't trust Carson Wentz. Let's hope this works out. Instead of now Matt Ryan taking control, being in command, and again, basically being a coach on the field. Matt Ryan can do the small things well. That was something Carson Wentz could not do. And I think his leadership is going to be a huge confidence boost for the players around him. Look, the Colts have their flaws on offense, especially considering they're a very young offensive group at skill at the skill player position. Michael Pittman Jr. is entering his third year. He's the number one wide receiver. There is zero, zero receivers behind him that are proven. The tight end position is extremely unproven. You have three or four tight ends with very minimal experience. None of them have been ever relied upon. You have Jonathan Taylor, who is a tremendous running back, now going into year number three, still relatively young. So you have an extremely young, green, if you will, inexperienced, skilled player position um, combination around Matt Ryan. But that's where the leadership comes into play because Matt Ryan so far takes command. I think he makes guys play loose because he knows and has the confidence, hey, this is where you got to be. This is where we're going to get it done. He inspires confidence through his leadership and coaching that Carson Wentz never was able to do last year. Frank Reich can try and inspire confidence by himself, but if you don't have belief in your quarterback, which he didn't, and if you're a receiver or a tight end or a running back and you don't feel great about your quarterback, down the stretch, it's tough to feel confident things are going to go your way. The Colts last year, for the most part of the year, played not to lose with Carson Wentz. That's going to be different this year with Matt Ryan, in large part, because I think what Frank Reich's ability is an offensive mind, but also Matt Ryan's leadership. So I think a big rejuvenation here is coming from Matt Ryan. I think he's going to have the best year of his career since he did in 2018, where again, 4,900 yards, 35 touchdowns, 7 picks. Something similar coming in Indy in 2022. And finally... Third and and third third and final quarterback. I think we're gonna have a rejuvenation for Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield this year in Carolina is gonna look more like his 2020 self that got the Browns to the playoffs than his 21 uh, 2021 play where he really struggled. I think 2021 in large part was because injury, his his shoulder injury he hurt week number two. I think really derailed his confidence, really derailed his ability to throw the ball, and that led to just a spiral of bad play. Now that he's fully healthy, now that he's, you know, motivated even more, the chip on his shoulder, I think going to Carolina, even with questionable coaching in Ben McAdoo, even with health questions surrounding, you know, the best player in Christian McCaffrey, offensive line questions about how good can they be, can they protect. I think Baker Mayfield's going to show this year. He is a quarterback that was, again, shouldn't have been given up on. Not by the Browns, because I think they did the right thing getting Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback, off the field issues aside. Deshaun Watson is a better football player than Baker Mayfield. But he was given up on by the rest of the league. No one else was interested. Even one of the two teams that was reportedly interested, the Seahawks, truly never really made an offer, truly never were um, committed to bringing Baker in. 
That is where I think he's going to show teams that they were wrong. Where they, you know, misjudged him. Baker, I think, is going to have a big year. I think he's going to lead the Panthers to the playoffs as a 7 seed, which, look, in the NFC, in a weak NFC, that's not as big of a statement or bold proclamation or even impressive as it would be in the AFC. I think Baker Mayfield this year is going to show why he is worth next year being brought in as a franchise quarterback, whether it's in Carolina and gets re-signed or whether another team signs him. You're bringing Baker Mayfield in next year to be your guy. I think that's what Baker Mayfield's going to show in 2022, that he is more the 2020 Baker that led the Browns to the playoffs, that in the final eight games of the season, including two, including two playoff games, he threw 15 touchdowns to two picks. He played his best football in the most important stretch in the Browns' new franchise history. That's the guy you're getting Carolina. That's the guy I think it's going to show himself in Carolina with the Panthers this year. So I think 2022 in the NFL is going to be the year of the quarterback rejuvenation led by three guys. Russell Wilson, MVP. Matt Ryan, big year. Colts division title. And Baker Mayfield showing why he is going to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL and lead the Panthers to the playoffs in 2022. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network, sending at YouTube Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show. Which quarterback in your mind is poised for a bounce back season? Or maybe they had a down 2021 year, or maybe you know the narrative in the national media is not as excited about this quarterback as you are. Who is due for a big bounce back year in 2022? We'll get your thoughts and also when we return. The NFL preseason, we'll say officially kicks off tonight. Right? I know they had the Hall of Fame game last week, but you have the week number one of preseason kicking off tonight with two games. I got a few preseason do's and don'ts for you as a reminder. So we don't get carried away here before the preseason does start. We'll do that when we return. It's the Ryan Nicky Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Apologize for what was another technical difficulty. The Wi-Fi in my apartment has gotten very, very sketchy conveniently at a time where I did end up cutting the cord. Now, there's construction outside my apartment. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, where they're drilling and digging up the street in front of me here. But I will say... I have been a cord cutter just for the summer. We're getting cable back come football season, but I figured not around it. You know, I'm not watching a lot of TV during the summer, working late at, you know, away on the weekends at the beach. So I figured we'll save a little, you know, save a few bucks. Conveniently, though, the internet has been fine. If you listen to the Ryan Hickey show, you've known basically from March to, let's say, June, there's been no issues. And now, almost daily, around this time, the internet fluctuates in and out. I can't help conspiracy theorists to think. They are cutting my internet. They are kind of trying to send a message that I made a mistake in cutting the cord and they are trying to make me pay. The internet we got was still high quality. We didn't, we didn't downgrade it in any way. But I think now this is the cable company trying to punish me in a small way for, uh, for cutting the cord and leaving them high and dry when it comes to TV because now all summer there's been internet issues. It's been going in and out. And this is not the first show that has been delayed or you've had connection issues because internet in my apartment has been sketchy. So I'm just saying, I think it's real. 
I have a lot of conspiracy theories about technology, whether it's the, the iPhone that conveniently does all of a sudden start to slow down, you know, after a few years, uh, and they always try to make you upgrade. There's always something with these tech companies that always try to make you buy the next and latest thing. I think this is the latest example with cable. The cable company trying to screw me. The guy's just trying to save a few bucks here by limiting my internet and making sure it's definitely not the best quality that I at least think I'm paying for. All right. So, with that said, internet be damned. We are back here. And also back is the NFL preseason. I know we had the Hall of Fame game last week, but really the NFL preseason official kicks off tonight. You get two games tonight, a few games tomorrow, and then Saturday you get a lot of, a lot of other games. So before we get any further, before we see any true games and get to carried away, because we as sports fans get carried away. No, never us, right? Never us. Watch one play from Trey Lance or watch one bad series from Tom Brady. Hit the panic button. I don't know. So I want to send a few reminders, a few do's and don'ts this preseason to make sure we're not losing our marbles here. Make sure we're not getting too, too carried away by what we're seeing on the field. Let's start with a don't. Don't take any result from the starters to mean anything. And I am talking to myself, by the way. I'm not just lecturing you, the fans, here. I This, honestly, this exercise, me saying these words out loud, is frankly more for me than you. Because I am the king of getting carried away. I am the king of the small sample size, extrapolating and down, thinking, oh, yeah, of course this is going to continue one way or another. So this is just as much for me as anything else. Don't take any result from the starters this preseason to mean anything. Right, that is, should be the cardinal rule of the preseason. Whether the starters are good, whether the starters struggle, it is going to be a very, very small sample size. And whether it's good or bad, it means nothing. It means nothing. So don't allow it to truly impact your decision making, your thinking heading into this year. If the defense you think is going to be good and they are struggling, don't panic. There is no reason to panic. Stay calm. If this offense, who you thought, eh, I don't know, I'm a little skeptical in the quarterback, or oh, the receivers are not very good, and all of a sudden they ball out in a series or two, don't take it to the extreme. Don't change your expectations to think. Top 10 offense, here we come. The only thing you should be concerned about in the preseason Injuries. That is it. As long as the starters, if they play, not many will play, as we know. If they play, as long as they are not injured, that is a success. So I know you're gonna have a you know a few important quarterbacks playing. Deshaun Watson is gonna play for the Browns. We have not seen him play in over a year. Trey Lance is gonna play for the 49ers, and now his first you know true role as a starter. Matty Ice is gonna play about a quarter, according to Frank Reich, uh, on Saturday for the Colts. Again. Whether they go 10 for 10 for 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, or they go 0 for 10, it doesn't matter. Do not take what you are seeing uh, to mean any sort of thing for how they'll play in the, pre, uh, in the regular season. Don't. Again, this is more for me than anyone else. Don't get suckered in to what you are seeing. Also, speaking of getting suckered in, don't. Don't fall for the practice squad guy every single year. We see the practice squad guy ball out. We see the 70th man on the roster right now, undrafted free agent, 
coming out and making plays. Whether it's touchdowns, whether it's sacks, whether it's tackles. It happens every year. Don't get suckered into thinking, well, this guy's the next star. This guy is going to be the, the can't-miss guy. This guy is going to be the key to our season dominating. And I just want to say, now I've noticed it now. I just was cursing out the internet before for not working. That's why I had a little bit of a delay come back from break. I just noticed in-segment happening again. So I apologize. The internet in my apartment sucks. I think the cable company is screwing me. They are doing it on purpose. I cut the cord, and they are now punishing me, the little guy, by making my internet faulty. So screw you, cable company. But I do apologize for the back-and-forth nature of this stream and why it's in and out. But if you are joining us, welcome. We were talking some preseason do's and don'ts. We started by saying, don't take any result you see from the starters seriously. Good or bad, it means nothing come regular season time. Also, don't fall for the preseason guy. It happens every year, whether it's Henry Josie for the Eagles a few years ago, averaged 6.6 yards per carry. Have you ever heard of Henry Josie since? Absolutely not. You may have never even heard of him before. I know for me, again, this segment is more for me than you. The preseason do's and don'ts are more for me than you because last year, there was a Colts receiver, being a big Colts fan that I am, Michael Strawn. Big, big time, like physical wide receiver. He's tall. He's strong. He had a big preseason, 10 catches, 130 yards. I'm thinking, this guy's going to be a legit contributor. Like, this is the big body the Colts need a receiver that's going to kind of get him going. I think he played a combined 20 snaps, like total, last year. I fell for the bait. I was suckered in. And a guy like Michael Strawn, with 99% of you don't even know about because there's no reason to, was a preseason darling last year. Absolute dud come regular season time. So again, don't do it. You know this. these next few weeks, we're going to see some big-time performances against third and fourth stringers from a corner or a receiver or a running back or a linebacker. Don't fall for the practice squad guy. Here's a do. I've been doing a lot of don'ts. Here's a do. Enjoy your weekend. There's a lot of games on this weekend. Don't sit inside. Don't be the guy sitting inside having your life, you know, revolve around watching preseason games and trying to scout out your fantasy rosters. This is one of the final summer weekends left, right? We are almost halfway through August, which is scary and a shame in its own right. Don't spend one of the final nice weekends we have inside, right? Football season, most of us are, are you know, locked in on Sundays and Saturdays, watching our favorite teams, watching a lot of games, watching our fantasy teams in the red zone. Don't waste one of the final free weekends we have stuck inside watching meaningless preseason games. Go out there, enjoy life. Go to the beach. Go get drunk at the bar. Go make bad decisions. Go ride a bike. Whatever it is you want to do. With the, one of the few nice weekends we have left. Don't waste it away watching preseason football. Enjoy it. Especially if you have a girlfriend or significant other or a boyfriend or a husband, wife, and they, you know... They know come football season you are locked in. Maybe do something nice with them. Maybe treat them to a nice weekend before they know come September through January you're off limits weekend-wise. I know I am. I'll, I'll be honest here. I'm going to watch Matt Ryan play a quarter on Saturday. That's about it. I'm not watching anything on Saturday other than that. I'm not watching anything on Sunday. I'm not taking any uh, results that we see from the preseason seriously. But I will say here's one more do. If you are if you are saying, you know what, I got nothing else going on this weekend. I'm locking in. I am getting ready for football. Football's back. We're watching preseason games. Here's a, here's a tip then. Here's what you should do. Practice your tailgate. 
Like, if you're going to watch the games, if you're going to make a day on Saturday, even Friday night, watch a few games on Friday night, take the opportunity to use the preseason just like the pros are doing. Practice. Practice the tailgate. Get the boys or the gals over. Get the chips ready. Get the dips ready. Get the apps ready. Get the wings ready. Make sure you are good to go come week number one or come Labor Day weekend. You got that tailgate ready to go. You don't want to be week number one trying a few things out. Oh, does the grill work? I hope so. Ah, you know, this recipe I haven't made in a while. Let's see if I still got it. Use the preseason to get the kinks out. Make sure the cooler is not leaking. Make sure the beer is stocked and the ice is ready to go. Make sure you are going to have people over this season that you are doing so and not having me the first go-around. So do yourself a favor. Do your friends a favor. Practice your tailgate. If you're going to watch this weekend, might as well use it as an opportunity to practice your craft, right? Preseason is for what? Practice. Players are trying to get back in game shape. you got to get back in tailgating shape. Use the preseason as an excuse if you are going to uh, go down that route and lock in for some playoff games. So those are our preseason games. Those are a few preseason do's and don'ts. Again, this is more for me than it is for you because I am the king of overreacting. I am the king of getting suckered in, and if Matt Ryan, I won't lie, goes 7 of 8 for 100 yards and two touchdowns, I'm going to have a hard time saying, oh boy, here we go. Now this, is, this means nothing. The Colts are not going to be very good this year. I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to be hook, line, and sinker. I'm getting hyped up and overreacting to what is going to be a performance that, frankly, means nothing in the end. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, I just spent the last 10 minutes talking about why the preseason we should not get hyped up on and why any result that happens, don't take it seriously. There is, though, I'm about to contradict myself, there is one thing that is very concerning coming out of training camp has to do with the New England Patriots. I'll tell you why their offensive struggles, they're real. This is not just preseason fodder. This is legit. We'll discuss it when we return. It's Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in. Ryan Hickey with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network for the next 50 minutes on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right. So this offseason in the NFL, right, there was a lot of teams that suffered big-time losses. The Packers lost their best receiver in Devonta Adams. They traded him to the Raiders. The Seahawks lost one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Russell Wilson. They traded him to the Broncos. Tyreek Hill off now the Chiefs roster. That's a big L for Kansas City. Sean Payton leaving the Saints. That's a big loss for New Orleans. But one of the biggest losses and most impactful losses that a team suffered that no one is talking about is Josh McDaniels leaving the Patriots. The Patriots losing their offensive mind is going to be one of the biggest and most impactful losses of this offseason. The offense for New England, it's doomed already. They're not going to be very good. And we are already seeing in training camp. But I know just last segment, five minutes ago, I was telling you, right, basically, get off the ledge, good or bad, with anything that is preseason results. Don't get too enamored or wrapped up with players playing good or players playing poor. This, though, this these offensive struggles that have been coming out of New England, that have been widely reported the last week and a half, two weeks, that is the one training camp storyline 
that is worth panicking over that we have to take seriously. This is legit. The Patriots offense is struggling in the in training camp, and there is a real reason to panic if you are a Patriots fan or a Patriots better that this offense is not going to be any good in 2021 or 2022. There are reports from beat reporters, from you know those covering the Patriots and those there at training camp. The offense line is getting worked, receivers are not getting open, and Mac Jones is taking a step back. Those are all legit. Those are all real. And the question I ask you is. Why would you think, coming off of last year with, I know, look, they, they with a rookie quarterback, the Patriots made the playoffs. Why would anyone think, going from last year to this year, the offense would take any sort of step? I know the reports are out there, oh, Mac Jones, best shape of his life, transformed his body, eating cookies is no more, he is taking control of the offense, he has, you know, become a leader. That's great. But why on earth would anyone think, that is going to translate to wins when you look at who Mac Jones is thrown to, who is blocking for him, and who, most importantly, is calling the plays and coaching him. Mac Jones last year and this Patriots offense had their success in large part because of Josh McDaniels. Look, before we go any further, full disclosure. I'm a big Colts fan. I hate Josh McDaniels. What he did to the Colts... A few years ago, leaving them at the altar after committing to be their head coach was repulsive. It's disgusting. I root against Josh McDaniels. I hope he flames out uh, with the Raiders. I hope everything we saw with Denver are, are, comes back to, you know, rear its ugly head yet again. And all the maturity questions we had, I thought, flared up again in 2018 when he said, yeah, I'm going to coach. Actually, never mind. I'm out. Now, I think it's a blessing in disguise because I love Frank Reich and I think he's per for the Colts and what they have gone through. I think Josh McDaniels is a quitter. With that said, though, his leadership aside, I will say this. Josh McDaniels is a very, very good offensive mind. He's a great play caller. He's a great play schemer. I think last year we saw that. Mac Jones is not a quarterback that's going to make plays on his own. He's not an athletic freak like Josh Allen or an insane you know, arm talent like Patrick Mahomes. Pat, Mac Jones is not going to make plays out of the pocket. He is going to work within the framework of the offense. He will get the ball out on time. He will find the open receiver. He'll make good decisions. He is never, though, going to just athletically make plays. He is never going to have a strong enough arm to wing it in there and make these incredible throws and just throw guys open. He needs to be put in a system that has him have success. And we saw that even in Alabama. If you go back to Mac Jones' only season with the Tide in 2020, yes, he had Najee Harris, a tremendous running back. He had a really good offensive line, and he had the best receiver in college football in Devontae Smith. The real key, though, for success for Mac Jones at Alabama was Steve Sarkeesian. Because while Devontae Smith was the best receiver in college football and the Heisman Trophy winner for a reason, if you go back to watch highlights of Alabama in 2020 with Mac Jones at the helm, you will notice one thing routinely. And that is anytime Mac Jones is throwing the ball, especially Devontae Smith, He's wide open. He's not throwing the ball into tight windows. He's not throwing guys open. And he's not fitting, you know, making these incredible throws. He's throwing to guys that have five yards of separation. And when you ask yourself, how does the best receiver in college football, the biggest threat on Alabama's offense, how is he always wide open? It's in large part because of Steve Sarkeesian 
creating schemes, calling plays that kept the defense off balance and found ways to get Devontae Smith open, even though everyone and their mother knew Devontae Smith is getting the ball. Matt Jones did not make a lot of hard throws at Alabama. He threw guys open. He made the right decision. He was a great decision maker, got the ball out on time. He anticipated throws. But a lot of those throws he made were wide open to receivers, in large part because of Steve Sarkeesian's ability to scheme up, you know, good plays, draw them up, and call good plays at the right time. Josh McDaniels did a lot of that last year. This Patriots offense is not filled with any sort of talent. The running back room is average. Offensive line was decent last year, and the receivers aren't scaring you. A large reason for the success the Patriots had was, for me, game planning and play calling, all having to do with Josh McDaniels. He put Mac Jones in a position to succeed where he didn't throw it all at, at once. Remember, early last year, there was a lot of complaints that Mac Jones is not throwing the ball deep. A lot of it was 15 yards and in. He made it simple for Mac Jones. He didn't open up the offense for Mac Jones. He just said, hey, you make these throws. We'll get seven yards at a time, and we'll just keep the offense moving. Dink and dunk, dink and dunk. That is what Josh McDaniels did by putting, or that's his philosophy. He made it easy for Mac Jones. He put him in a position to where, make this throw, these guys will be open. But now, with Josh McDaniels leaving, and this offense staying the same, if not getting worse, skill-wise, why would anyone think Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, are going to come in and have the same, if not more, success, despite the fact that the, the brain trust is going down significantly? Matt Patricia is not scheming up plays the way Josh McDaniels did. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are not creative offensive geniuses like Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan drawing up these tremendous plays that defenses will never be able to figure out. That's what Josh McDaniels did. There was never at any point last year the Patriots offense just out-physicaled, out-talented defenses. It was a mind game. Mac Jones anticipated he got the ball quick. His arm is not strong or it's not elite and he's not going to beat you with his arm. These receivers are no one's scaring you. Like, let me ask you this. Kendrick Bourne, if you are a, a, a team going against the Patriots, are you scared up at night about Kendrick Bourne torching you? Are defensive coordinators having nightmares about Jacoby Myers or Devontae Parker? No. Is Damian Harris, defensive lineman, sweating about stopping Damian Harris? Hell no. This offensive line went through... Some reshuffling. I think they got worse compared to last year. And now, a large part for the run game having success and the pass game being decent last year, I think, was Josh McDaniels. Now you take him away, insert Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, and now we are seeing the offense not get along, you know, be in sync at all. And the offensive line worked, the running game having no success, and Mac Jones having to throw the ball away. Look, for all the things I said about Mac Jones and his, I think he's limited. I'm not a big Mac Jones guy personally. I think he has a ceiling on him. I think he's can be a serviceable, pretty good quarterback like Jimmy G, I don't think Mac Jones is ever going to be a guy that wins you games. I think Mac Jones, to me, his is um, similar quarterback that I would compare him to would be a Jimmy G-style guy. You make everything easy for him, he'll be there. Otherwise, I don't think Mac Jones is winning games on his own. He's not going to, for sure, physically, ever win you a game. But I don't think this is Mac Jones' fault. Like, he's... He has what he has, and he knows what he's good at, knows what he's not. But now you are having, in year two, which is a big year for a young quarterback, 
having the brain trust go away in Josh McDaniels and bringing Joe Judge and Matt Patricia and keeping this average at best skill core around him, yeah, no, no bleep why the Patriots offense is struggling in training camp. And I think it's going to continue in the, in the regular season. There's absolutely reason to be panicked. If you're a Patriots fan, again, or a Patriots better. This offense is not going to be very good. This team is not going to be very good. They're not a playoff team. Seven or eight wins, I think, is right now what the Patriots look at this year. Around 500. Maybe nine and eight. Nowhere, you know, not a playoff team. Not a real threat in the AFC. So there is a real, real reason to panic with all the reports coming out of training camp. I know training camp is easy to get carried away. This is one of the few, one of the few instances where the panic coming out of training camp is warranted. Mac Jones is not going to play tonight. The starters are not going to play tonight. So it's not like preseason we could see how things are working. It's going to have to wait till the regular season. And I don't think Matt Patricia overnight is going to wake up and be like Josh McDaniels. I don't think Joe Judge is magically going to go, you know, find this fountain of youth that equals all of a sudden offensive brain geniusness and going to be the next Sean McVay 2.0. This offense is in trouble because they suffered one of the biggest losses of the postseason, uh, of the offseason, and that was Rafa's coordinator, Josh Daniels. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I'm panicking. I am absolutely concerned about the Patriots offense. I think they're in for a rough year. How about yourself? Is there a reason to panic or my overblowing training camp speculation and you still have faith Mac Jones and this Patriots offense are still going to be pretty viable in 2022. I'd love to get your thoughts here on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Right Network. Twitter, you can tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show. Or on YouTube, where they're Worldwide Sports Right Network. When we return, we are 16 days away. Just about two weeks away from week zero in college football kicking off. So I want to ask you this. As we get ready for the season to get underway. We know there are four playoff spots. I'm not talking about teams who can make uh, or win a championship. I am merely asking, how many teams can make the college football playoff? I think there's eight teams. That's it. That are competing for the four spots. I'll tell you who those... Uh, tell you... <laughs> really killing me on the Ryan Hickey show. I'll tell you who those eight teams are when we return. It's Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Ray Network. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'll get to the college world playoff contenders here in a second. But you may have heard in, in break, I just went, hmm, that's interesting. Very interesting report here, very interesting development coming out of Bucks training camp. Ian Rappaport had it. Um, he is reporting that Tom Brady is going to be away from training camp for the next few days. There is no reason given, and Ian Rapport does say that the Bucks are on board. Tom Brady physically is okay, so it's not like there's an injury or, or you know, at least from what we're concerned, there's nothing pressing, you know, medically, you know, something else outside of football. So that is at least good news. But Ian Rapport is reporting that Tom Brady it will not be at practice today for the Buccaneers for personal, non-football reasons. Todd Bowles, I guess, is going to discuss after practice today, which should be in a few hours. 
Um, but it sounds like, again, according to Ian Rapport, it's going to be for a few days. Um, and there's really no reason given. Um, and again, it's a non-football personal reason. My brain goes to this. We have no idea. Again, maybe Todd Bowles will shed some light on it. First of all, we hope, obviously, Tom Brady's okay and the family's okay. Hopefully, nothing serious is going on with either Tom or anyone in his family. But if this is, you know, nothing, let's say, medically urgent, just just me speculation here, I wonder, and this is Tom Brady avoiding the questions that do come with this Dolphins investigation. Ever since it was released last week that the Dolphins are being punished for, you know, a first and a third for tampering with Tom Brady illegally, not once but twice, in 2019 and also this past offseason. I do wonder if Tom Brady, he has not been available to the media since that report was, or that conclusion, I should say, by the NFL was put out there. I wonder if this is him because now the first week of the preseason's here, even though Tom Brady's not going to play, um, you know, media availability is out there. I wonder if this is him ducking the media questions, hoping it's going to go away. Now, he should know better. And I have no idea this is just speculation. That's the first thing my brain thought of. Maybe this is Tom Brady trying to avoid it and maybe get his answer and story straight before he talks to the media, before, you know, it comes out there and he gives all the details. Maybe he's talking to Sean Payton, talking with, you know, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, trying to get everyone on the same page to make sure they don't get caught up in a lie. Now, I don't think Tom Brady's going to get punished. He clearly hasn't yet, and I don't think he will. Um, I don't think his words are going to really incriminate him. He's someone who's masterfully, you know, always said nothing. Um... But if this is not medical related, and with not just him, but with his family, we hope not. Um, I do wonder if that's you know one of the reasons why Tom Brady is kind of missing practice the next few days. So we'll keep you updated. We'll keep you monitored. Again, Ian Rapport is reporting Tom Brady missing practice for personal non-football reasons for the next few days. Ian Rapport does say he's uh, he's fine medically, but it's gonna be a little bit before he's back. Todd Bowles. Uh, we'll mute the media and shed a little light on what's going on after practice today. All right. So with college football 16 days away from week zero, forget about winning a title. Because like, we know it's a very select few. I want to ask you this question, though, because winning a championship and making a cultural playoff are two totally different things. Because we have seen, even in the playoff, separation from the championship contenders and just making the playoff. How many teams, in your opinion, going into this year can actually compete to get one of the four playoff berths. I think there's just eight teams. Eight teams out of 130, excuse me, that would be competing for four spots. I think it's Alabama, duh. Georgia, duh. Ohio State, no-brainer. Clemson. These are the other four teams, though. I think NC State, Baylor, Oklahoma, Utah. Those are the only eight teams I can see making the college football playoff this year. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, NC State, Baylor, Oklahoma, Utah. I'll give a quick explanation for each. Number one, Alabama. Do I have to go any do I really have to explain it? Bryce Young, Will Anderson, a rebuilding team, which by the way, I actually believe and agree with Nick Saban on that. When you look at Alabama, especially offensively last year, new offense coordinator Bill O'Brien, new quarterback in Bryce Young. New receiver in Jameson Williams. New running back in Brian Robinson. Changing offensive line. There was a lot of newness to Alabama last year where I didn't really know how the pieces were going to fit. The talent is there. It's just how is it going to fit cohesively? And they somehow turned that season, that was some ups and downs, 
into a national championship appearance and a Heisman Trophy winner and an SEC title. I think it's going to be better than last year. I think they'll be even more motivated last year, which is, I roll my eyes. It's a real shame uh, to give Alabama and Nick Saban extra juice, but I think coming up short the way they did will give them extra juice. Alabama, clear and obvious, college role playoff contender. Georgia, I will say, obvious, there is a but though. I'm nervous about the talent dream. We have really never seen, for the most part, a school outside of Alabama routinely lose insanely talented players and still make the playoff. Clemson has, for the most part, but they've also benefited from a weak ACC conference. I am nervous about Georgia when you lose nine defensive players off of an historic defense, six offensive players to either the draft or transfer. I worry, even though you got Stetson Bennett coming back, I think Stetson Bennett is better than he gets credit for. And Kirby Smart could say, we're not thinking about last year, we're still hungry and even motivated, uh, more motivated than last year to win. I know Georgia's loaded recruiting-wise, and they just recruit five-star after five-star after five-star, and they have one of, if not the most talented overall roster in college football. That's a lot to lose and still make it back to being one of the top four teams. I don't think they're beating Alabama this year in the SEC title. I think they're going to get tripped up along the way. I think there's one loss. Well, I think they'll still win the East. I think they'll still make the title game, and I think they'll finish with two losses. I think there's one game where Georgia gets tripped up this year, and they uh, they are not going to be a, a, t- a college football playoff contender or make the college football playoff, I should say, this year, but I think they're a contender. They're absolutely in the conversation. They're too talented not to. They will be right there, and I think they'll be playing in the first weekend of December a game where if they win, they're in. If they lose, they're out. But Georgia, absolutely still a cultural playoff um, contender for sure. Ohio State, see Georgia, see Alabama. Motivated, insanely good offensive uh, threats, even with the losses of some great receivers like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. You have C.J. Stroud, the best or the second-best quarterback in college football. You have Jackson Smith and Jigba, the best wide receiver. Now you have Marvin Harrison Jr. You have Julian Fleming. I mean, in the Rose Bowl alone, I should tell you, this is wide receiver you, and this offense is not going to slow down. It's only going to get better. The defense, they got Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. This defense was the big Achilles heel for the Buckeyes last year. Jim Knowles, with less talented players, had a way better defense uh, with the Cowboys than he did with Ohio State last year. And the, the thing for, for Ohio State, I don't think their defense is going to be like top 10. Remember 2019 when they had Justin Fields, we also had Chase Young in a lockdown defense, and they were like averaging uh, nine points allowed or something like that? That's not going to be this defense this year. But if you're 50th, if you're 40th, if you're 35th, that is way good enough, way good enough to get you to the playoff. They got physical, they got pushed around at times, and they were out physicaled, uh, especially in that Michigan game where Michigan ran all over them for 300 yards. Ohio State's going to be better, stout, and that offense is going to be humming. They are going to make the playoff absolute college football playoff contenders. Clemson's a college football playoff contender. I'm not putting them in my final four, though. I, I'm concerned about DJ Uwe Ungle. I'm concerned about the quarterback position. I'm concerned about the loss of both assistants in Brent Venables going to Oklahoma and Tony Elliott going to Virginia. Like losing both uh, offensive and defensive coordinators is going to be a loss. But the reason why Clemson's still in the mix is two reasons. One, the ACC is weak. Two, that defense is loaded. They are loaded where even if offensively they're going to struggle, I think they will. Their defense is going to keep them in a lot of games, and their schedule is not that very daunting. So even at 11-1 and or 12-1 and or 12-0, and 
Clemson is going to be in the mix. Clemson is going to be in the mix all season long for the college roll playoff. I don't think they're going to make it, though. I think this is a big year for Dabo Sweeney. This is him now trying to reload, needing to kind of show that he's still got it. He's taken a chance by promoting two, uh, two assistants in-house instead of going outside to replace both coordinators he had. This is going to be a big year for Dabo Sweeney and a big year, clearly, for DJ Uwe Ungale. I'm not sold on him kind of bouncing back and being more consistent. I don't think Clemson's going to be uh, making the playoff, but they're going to be in the mix all season long. NC State, to me, is the only other team in the ACC that could give Clemson a run for their money. I would have said Wake Forest. Unfortunately, the Sam Hartman news, uh, him being out indefinitely after having a medical procedure, that's a, a killer for the Demon Deacons. But NC State, I think if there is one team that's going to push Clemson, it's going to be the Wolfpack. This is the best team that you know Dave Doran has had. They have a really solid offensive line, a better defense. I like Devin Leary as a quarterback. He's really solid. I know you're going to Death Valley and playing at Clemson this year, which is never easy to do, which is really tough. But I, I'm buying in on the Wolfpack. I think their offense is going to be good enough to where Clemson's offense is going to be wishy-washy up and down. I'm buying in where NC State, if they beat Clemson or even lose, I think NC State could beat everyone else on their schedule outside of the Tigers. And if you beat Clemson, you can afford one loss, win the ACC because they're in the same conference, and still get in the playoff. So even though NC State is nowhere near title contention, nowhere near, I think, as good as any other teams are talking about, because the ACC is down, because Clemson is still going to be highly ranked and in the national conversation, if you beat the best or go 11-1, and you're going to be around college football playoff uh, contention. You're going to be in the conversation. That's what I think NC State can do this year. That's why, for me, they are absolutely a college football playoff contender. Not a national championship contender. They are going to be in the mix for one of the four spots. Two more, or th- sorry, three more teams that I think is going to make the college or be in the college football playoff mix. Baylor. Look, it's crazy to say, but this is not your grandpa's Big 12 anymore. Defense is in vogue in the Big 12, and no one is better at defense than Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears going to 2022. They have one of the best defenses uh, in the country, the best defense in the conference. I like the continuity that's coming back. They do return a lot of the players that you know won the Big 12 title last year. And it is a little concerning that two of their three biggest games on the road at BYU, on the road at Oklahoma, not at home, not great. But Baylor is deep. Their defense is going to be very good. Oklahoma is going to take a step back this year with the loss of Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Um... But I do think Baylor, uh, talent-wise, is good enough to run the gauntlet, win the Big 12 for sure. That's why they are in this conversation for me. But also, Oklahoma. Like, I'll be honest. The more I think about it, the more I read, the more I look at what Brent Venables is doing. I'm buying into the Sooners. Again, being a college world playoff contender and being a national championship contender are two totally different things. Oklahoma is nowhere near right now on the level of Alabama and Ohio State. But again, you don't have to be on that level in order to make the playoff. Four teams have to make it. There's a lot of question marks really outside of those two teams in Georgia that don't have really feeling that great. Oklahoma, I'll be honest, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm buying into the Sooners. I know there was so much turnover, so much controversy this offseason at Oklahoma with the surprising departure of uh, Lincoln Riley Caleb Williams following suit. A lot of other players transferring to go to USC. It's been rough. 
Brent Venables has done a really good job so far of keeping the ship afloat. They bring in Dylan Gabriel, who is a really talented and good quarterback at uh, at UCF. I love the offensive coordinator hire in Jeff Levy, who is is basically a run-and-shoot guy. He was at Ole Miss, if that name sounds familiar. He was at Ole Miss last year with Lane Kiffin. So that's a guy that's going to run a lot of plays, get a lot of yards, put a lot of points up. So even though it's not Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, this offense is still going to be, even with the losses of those two important players, I think still going to be pretty potent. You retain your best receiver in Marvin Mims Jr., who for whatever reason was put on an island last year, just forgotten about. He's a really talented, really good receiver. I think it's going to get more run this year. So I am buying in to Oklahoma. And the more I think about it, the more I'm starting to think of the Sooners as a legit playoff contender. I mean, think about it too. With the defensive background that Brent Venables has. The defense can't be any worse. That was the big Achilles heel for Lincoln Riley. Why they never were truly national title contenders. Is because they never got that defense on a level. That could either run the Big 12 gauntlet. Or stand up to Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia. Whoever they played and couldn't get a stop. So the defense, the good news is. For Oklahoma fans. Can't be any worse this year than it was the past few years. And the schedule benefits them. You get Baylor, you get Oklahoma State, two of the biggest teams on your schedule, two of the biggest challengers at home. That's big. That is big. So I'm buying into the Sooners as a college football playoff contender. And finally, the last team, the eighth and final team I think will be competing for a college football playoff position, I guess the Utes of Utah. They're legit. They are making the playoff. Forget about being a contender. I think the Utes are going to be in the playoff this year. Cam Rising is a really good quarterback. I know the Pac-12, all the attention goes to... Um, Caleb Williams and USC. Cam Rising is legit. I know he got off, you know, it's almost not his fault, but got off to a slow start last year, and Utah did overall um, by starting a different quarterback, and he got hurt, and Cam Rising came in. But Utah is a very balanced offense where Cam Rising threw for 3,000 yards last year. The running game ran for 3,000 yards last year. Tavion Thomas ran for 20 touchdowns. Really lethal on the ground. This is a defense that's still going to be really good even with the loss of, of Devin Lloyd. And the biggest reason why I have the Utes on this um, list and not USC, two reasons. The trenches and defense. Utah is bigger, stronger, and better on the offensive line and the defensive line than USC is. That is a big, like that is an important factor. You need to be strong up the middle offensively and defensively to win games in college football. Utah is, and also their defense is a lot better than USC. USC has all the offensive firepower that they need. You have Caleb Williams, you have uh, Jordan Addison, you have Lincoln Riley. And you have even Travis Dye coming over from Oregon, so you have him as well. What they don't have is anyone on defense. They're undersized, they're small, they get pushed around. That's a major concern. That's not changing overnight, even with Alex Grinch going from Oklahoma to USC. That, for me, is the reason why I'm not picking USC to be a cultural playoff contender this year in year number one. And I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12. Utah, though, that is a big, big, big reason why, for me, um, their their trenches and their defense is the reason why I have them over USC. And they are a very balanced offense. They are a legit cultural playoff contender. Few teams I left off. I'm not buying Michigan. I'm sorry. Michigan, I know they're hyped up this year. I really don't get why. They lost too much for me from 2021 to repeat the success they had that season. You lost your offense coordinator. You lost your defense coordinator. You lost the two of the best players in college football and one of the deadliest, if not the best, defensive end duo in Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. You have 
Cade McNamara coming back. I get, yes, you, you bring back Blake Corum. You have three-fifths of the offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award last year. And you have all your receivers coming back. I get it. But Cade McNamara is, is a very safe quarterback. He is someone that doesn't let it rip. He is someone that just plays within the framework of the offense and makes a safe throw. I don't think he's going to get the most out of this receiving core. He only had one game where he threw for over 300 yards. And in the two biggest games, Michigan won, by the way, uh, at, against Ohio State and against Iowa to make the college football playoff, Cade McNamara threw for like 300 yards combined. They didn't throw the ball whatsoever. They leaned on the run game. I think the loss of Hassan Haskins is bigger than people are giving him credit for. That guy was a workhorse bell cow running back that physically wore down defenses. That's a huge loss not having him there anymore. I'm not buying into Michigan. I think they lost too much from 2021. I'm not in on Notre Dame. I like Notre Dame's roster overall, and I'm buying into Marcus Freeman. What I'm not buying into is their quarterback situation right now. Whether it's Tyler Buckner, whether it's Drew Pine, that quarterback situation is nowhere near where it should be for Notre Dame to be a cultural playoff contender this year. Plus, it's a tough schedule. I mean, on the road, week one at Ohio State. That is as brutal as brutal can be. I love Notre Dame's roster. I don't love their quarterback. That's why, for me, they're not a cultural playoff contender this year. A&M, too much uncertainty at quarterback. Jimbo Fisher asks too much of his quarterbacks um, to have this much uncertainty and think they're going to be one of the top four or five teams in the country. And also, too, what I'm not sold on, A&M had a great recruiting class, a historic recruiting class in 2022. I'm not buying, though, relying on so many true freshmen to come in and make an impact in the SEC big enough to where you're going to be a cultural playoff contender. Free, I'm not buying it. I think this is an 8-4 Texas A&M team. I am not drinking the Kool-Aid. I am really, honestly, A&M is one of those teams. I got to see it to believe it. I got to see it. I'm not sold. Each year, A&M gets hyped up the last three years. Ever since 2020, they had that great season in 9-1 where they played no one. And the only game they actually did play was Alabama. They lost by four touchdowns and no one wants to talk about for whatever reason. They thought they were close to Alabama. No, we're close. A&M. Too much uncertainty in the quarterback position. I don't think they're going to be cultural playoff contenders this year. USC, I mentioned before, won't be able to stop anyone on defense. Plus, their biggest game of the year against Utah at Utah. Not great for them. And again, Wake Forest, I, w- I like the ACC and I like their offense. The Demon Deacons have. They have an explosive offense. Now losing Sam Hardman um, for an indefinite amount of time. We hope he's okay. There's a medical issue going on with Sam Hardman that's not football related. So we obviously pray for a speedy recovery. Hope he's o- okay, but... Him now not being around uh, seemingly anytime soon. Big loss to the Demon Deeks. I don't think they'll be able to overcome that. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I think just eight teams are making the are, are competing, I should say, for the four, uh, for the four college football playoff spots. I think it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, NC State, Baylor, Oklahoma, Utah. How many teams in your mind can compete for a college football playoff? Which teams did I include of the eight do you think no shot in hell they're going to compete? Which teams did I leave off do you think I am disrespecting? Read your thoughts on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Generic, Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, or on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Generic. We'll get your thoughts and when we return. Really quickly, Kevin Durant wants off the Nets for one reason. He does not hate the Nets. He hates himself. I'll explain what that means. When we return, it's Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
Welcome back in the Ryan Hickey Show, wrapping up here on a Thursday morning. All right, so Kevin Durant issued an ultimatum earlier this week to the Brooklyn Nets, basically saying, choose me or choose Sean Marks and Steve Nash, the head coach and the general manager. Kevin Durant doesn't hate the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant doesn't hate the direction of the Brooklyn Nets because it's the direction he guided them in. Kevin Durant hates the leadership role he has assumed in going to Brooklyn. He hates being the bus driver. And now he wants to go to a team where he could be the bus rider. Where he could just go play basketball and not have to make any decisions. Kevin Durant, I think, has realized. For all the criticism he's gotten for going to Golden State and, and you know taking the easy way out and not being the driving force behind those championships getting his rings called fake, he would rather live with that criticism and that um, those knocks than have to deal with all the drama that comes with being the face of a franchise. Frankly, it's pathetic. I think it's pathetic. you got to suck it up. It's really not that big of a deal and clean up the mess you made in Brooklyn. I think he's really weak and really pathetic trying to leave the Nets. But Kevin Durant is telling you right now, he is done being the bus driver. He wants to be the bus rider, to quote Charles Barkley. And the reason why we know that, and the reason why it's pretty obvious, look at the teams Kevin Durant wants to get traded to. There are four teams reportedly out there that Kevin Durant is a location he would want to go to. The Boston Celtics, the Sixers, the Heat, the Suns. What do all four of those teams have in common with each other? They have a leadership and culture that is built already where Kevin Durant would go in and he would not be the decision maker. He would not be the face of the franchise like he was in Brooklyn calling all the shots. He wants to go to the Celtics, and he specifically mentioned going to the Celtics and playing with Marcus Smart. Why on earth would he single out Marcus Smart and not say, oh, I want to play with Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? He specifically said Marcus Smart. Why? Because Marcus Smart is the equivalent, is the Celtics equivalent of Draymond Green. He is the heart and soul of that team. He is the emotional leader. He is the vocal leader. He is the guy that will yell at teammates if they're dragging ass. He's the guy that's going to yell at teammates and coaches if they are not giving it their all or maybe even playing up to their standard. Marcus Smart, in Kevin Durant's eyes, would be the bad guy he doesn't have to be. Kevin Durant is not like controversy. He does not want to ruin friendships. He doesn't want to be yelled at anyone. He hasn't yelled at anyone. He doesn't want to be the guy who gives the bad news. He just wants to play basketball. Marcus Smart specifically being in Boston and Kevin Durant wanting him to be there when he gets traded there is showing you and telling you he wants him to be the bad guy. Sixers. Kevin Durant wants to play with Joel Embiid and James Harden. Why? Because Embiid is the face of the Sixers. If Harden, uh, if KD is traded to Philly, it's still Embiid's team. Anything that comes down to coaching, anything that comes down to roster decisions, it's going to be Embiid's call, not KD's. That's what KD wants. He wants to go to Miami. Why? Because the culture there, the heat culture, is proven through decades worth of success. Pat Riley is calling the shots. Eric Spolstra is calling the shots. Jimmy Butler is going to be the bad guy yelling at everyone and making sure they are playing their best. uh, Kevin Durant does not want to do the dirty work. He just wants to play basketball. Jimmy Butler being there, Pat Riley being there, Kevin Durant knows if I go to to Miami, I don't have to be in the same role I have to be in Brooklyn. And same thing with the Suns. He wants CP3 there. He wants Seven Booker there. Why? Because they have built a leadership and they have built a, a culture, I should say, that has really flourished lately. Kevin Durant does not want to be the guy anymore like he was in Brooklyn. He had a taste of power. He got bullied, frankly, into leaving Golden State to go to, to go to the Nets. 
And in three years, he has hated it. He is passive-aggressive. He doesn't want to own up to his mistakes. And he doesn't want to really yell at anyone or hurt any friendships. I mean, you look at why this has failed in Brooklyn. It's not because of talent. It's because of the leadership. It's because no one truly stepping up and taking hold of the franchise. Kevin Durant, when he came there, was assumed it's Kevin Durant's team. And all the decisions that were made were made by Kevin Durant in one way or another. He brought Kyrie Irving to town. They got Kenny Atkinson fired. They got Steve Nash hired. They brought James Harden in. They traded James Harden. They brought Ben Simmons in. All of those moves, they brought DeAndre Jordan in back in 2019. All those moves were made with Kevin Durant in mind or made by Kevin Durant. All backfired. All could have been saved, by the way, if Kevin Durant said to Kyrie, get your bleep together, get the shot. Hey, Kyrie, you can't disappear unless we need you here. Get locked in. When the three of them were together, Kyrie, Katie, and Harden, the 16 games they played, they were historically good on offense. Why did it fizzle out? Why did James Harden run out of patience and force a trade to the Sixers? Because he hated Kyrie. And you know what could have fixed all this? Kevin Durant stepping in, being a man, and saying, we are figuring this out. That's what a leader does. That is why Kevin Durant wants to go play with Marcus Smart, Embiid, Jimmy Butler, CP3. Because any of those guys, if there was the same feud going on between teammates, they would hash out in a room and say, get it together, stop being immature, and fi- let's figure out our differences right now. Kevin Durant did not want to do that because he wants to be friends with everyone. He has no leadership. He has no backbone. So he would rather... Take the easy way out and say, all right, we're going to trade away James Harden. Then have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant sit in a room and figure it out. Say, we're too good to split this up. He'd rather take on a question mark and Ben Simmons at best instead of confronting James Harden or Kyrie Irving and telling them the hard truth they need to listen. Kevin Durant is done being the bus driver because he has realized being the bus driver means you're you're the bad guy. You got to get on guys' asses. You got to yell at them. You got to, you know, make sure they're playing great. And if things are not going your way, you got to take control. Kevin Durant has zero leadership within him. All-time great talent. All-time horrendous leader. That's why it's failed in Brooklyn. That's why he wants out. If he wanted to run it, like if he wanted to truly call the shots. And he said, you know what? I have crashed this car. It's the Brooklyn Nets. I want to start over with a new car. He could have gone anywhere he wanted. He could have gone to Indiana. Could have gone to Washington. You could go to Toronto. And you could go and kind of be the face of that team. You can go to Utah and call the shots yet again. There's a reason why those teams are not listed. Those teams are not listed because Kevin Durant doesn't want to do that again. He wants to assume the role he had in Golden State. Where Steph's team, Draymond was the bad guy. Steve Kerr was a great coach that held everyone accountable. And Kevin Durant just played basketball. That's why he's leaving. He doesn't hate the Nets. He hates his leadership. He hates being the guy. That's why he wants out. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Ryan K Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Run Eric. As always, appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday. We will be back a week from now. So remember, the first week of preseason is kicking off tonight. Don't overreact. Don't get too crazy. Don't buy into the practice squad guy. And don't waste your weekend watching wall-to-wall preseason. Enjoy. It's one of the few weekends we have left. Get out there. Have some fun. Get to the beach. Just do anything instead of being cooped up on a Saturday all day watching meaningless football. We will be back next Thursday. So between now and then, 
As always, have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you next Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.